We will be reading from the very first of First John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. You may be seated. Would you pray with me this morning as we begin? Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your son, the word of life, the eternal life. We thank you for the apostolic witnesses in the scriptures, these men who saw and touched and heard this word of life manifested from the heavenlies. May we take in the warm welcome from John this morning as he's carried along in writing by the Holy Spirit. This welcome to enter into the fellowship of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this welcome that you've given to us. This invitation, if you will. Father, we ask that you would move us into action in our own understanding of what it means to have fellowship with you. I pray, Father, that you would help us through your Holy Spirit to make the connections between our fellowship with you and our fellowship with one another in the body of Christ. And more specifically, Father, I pray that this fellowship, this local assembly here at Hope in Christ would walk together in the light, even as you, God, are in the light. Father, I pray you would expose the darkness in our lives. Through your preached word this morning, I pray that sin would be dealt with. I pray that it would not be swept under the rug for another occasion. I pray that this body of believers would be drawn into fellowship and would come to see that their fellowship with one another, is a demonstration and outflow of their fellowship with you. I ask you, Lord, to open our eyes and our ears this morning to what the Spirit has to say to us through your revealed word. And Father, I ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. In the Gospel of John, Two verses that I would like to begin with this morning. From John chapter 1 verses 4 and 5. In him, the word, the logos, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. 
and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus, we see in John's gospel, was with God in the beginning. He is the one church of whom we speak this morning as we open the Bible to John's first epistle. John is the one who wrote not only the gospel of John, but he wrote this first and second and third epistle, and he also was the one who penned the book of Revelation. And we are continuing today in our gospel markers study. We're week four of, of eight messages, looking at the gospel, looking at, we've, for those of you that are here with us maybe for the first time or, or in a while, first in a while, we spent the summer in the book of Acts and coming off of our study in the book of Acts, part two in Acts, uh, we, we spent much time talking about the gospel. And so we're taking uh, right out of that segueing into eight weeks on looking at the gospel, trying to help the body, help us all understand what is this gospel, what's it made up of. And so while this is not an exhaustive study, it is nevertheless, we're trying to pinpoint some core markers of the gospel. It'll be helpful for us not only to know what it is, but then how to operate within the gospel, how to live our lives and cultivate a love for this gospel. Okay, so that's where we're at. That's, that's in the midst of what we're doing. We're halfway through. We talked about man's sin problem week one. We talked about the solution to that problem in week two, and that was Jesus Christ and his finished and completed work at the cross. And then last week we spoke of our connection. We, we spoke of our union with Christ. And this week we're going to be talking about the fellowship, our communion with Christ. And we'll see today the importance and significance and how this fits in to our lives together as a body of believers. It's important that we would understand our union with Christ. One of the reasons we spoke of that first, our union with Christ, is really the ground upon which our communion, our fellowship with Christ is built. Okay? No union with Christ, no fellowship with Christ. Our fellowship with God through Jesus Christ is predicated upon our being in Christ. Okay, it's important that we would have that as a, uh, some framework going into the message this morning. It's important to see that. So if we have our Bibles open to 1 John chapter 1, we're going to look this morning at the entirety of the chapter, Lord willing. I'd like to give you some questions to consider as we move into our study. First of all, what is fellowship according to John's epistle? As you read this, especially chapter 1, be asking yourself that question. What is fellowship according to what John is writing here, okay, in, in the first chapter? How does fellowship fit into the context of John's letter? Again, important, anytime we're preaching a word, that we see the context in which it sits, okay? So what is the context of this message of fellowship, in particular in John's epistle? And how does this fellowship fit into the context of the gospel, Okay, another important question to ask. What is the goal and objective of the fellowship that's described here? And how does this fellowship work itself out in our lives? That's application question. What does this text have to say about fellowship in the life of the local church, in the life of the assembly, the gathering of believers? Fellowship is the most common translation of this word, this familiar word, koinonia, There may be many of you here who do not know Greek, but I would venture to say that majority of you here have heard that word, koinonia, right? Most of you have probably heard that word. Well, in the English translation of that word, oftentimes in the scripture that is translated fellowship. But the Bible also translates that word, koinonia, in some different ways. Ways. So as you're reading the text, it's important that you know in the English language, sometimes that word koinonia is translated partnership, participation, a sharing together, a communion, communication, distribution, or contribution. Lots of different English words that come out of this Greek word koinonia. Fellowship. What is Fellowship. Just in terms of a working definition this week, I believe there's a gentleman in specific tied into this text. I think the definition is appropriate here. The life of God in the soul of man experienced personally, how? By believing the truth. The truth as it is in Jesus, as Ephesians would say, right? 
You've been taught the truth as it is in Jesus and shared relationally where? Among whom? In the church, among the body of believers. Okay? The life of God in the soul of man. This fellowship, church, we need to understand, characterized the early church. You remember Acts 2.42, right? We've come back to that a few times over these last few weeks. And here in Acts 2.42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and here it is, fellowship. They also continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread and the prayers. But one of those four things they devoted themselves to there in Acts 2.42 is fellowship. As a part of this local assembly, and we think about what they devoted themselves to in the early church, I I want you to know that this was something they highly devoted themselves to as a church. I also want you to see that I, I... that what happened back in Acts 2.42, not just, not just made up of some good ideas. They just, they just happened to be doing those things. I do believe that the church today ought to be doing those very same things. Fellowship being one of them. Fellowship's what we're going to talk about today as it relates to the epistle here in 1 John. As you think about being a part of this local assembly, those of you that are not directly a part of this local assembly, you can ask the question about the local assembly you find yourself a part of. Are you devoted to fellowship in this kind of manner? Have you allowed other things to take precedence over your fellowship with the saints? Has fellowship been relegated to... I was thinking of a a bookshelf, and there are a few in our home. Maybe you have a few in your home. And you have books in, in the top shelf, middle shelf, lower shelf, etc. And I was thinking about this picture of how the church seems to perhaps have just put fellowship on that bottom shelf. It's on the bottom shelf. When you read Acts 2.42, it seems clear that fellowship was held in high regard. It was one of the four things they devoted themselves to. And so a question this morning I believe is important. Is it held in high regard for you? Has it been? Fellowship takes on an especially important role in light of John's context. Remember that each of these 66 books of the Bible, they're written different audiences, to individuals, to groups of people, to churches. Each book has a purpose behind it, in other words. An intended audience. I want you to consider a letter that you would write to a friend. You oftentimes write a letter to a friend. Let me say it this way. I don't believe you write a letter to a friend... If, there's no, if you don't have any purpose in mind, for you to take a, a piece of paper and, and take up a pen and start writing, oftentimes you have a purpose behind your writing. There's a reason why you're writing them a letter. It would be pretty foolish to pick up a piece of paper and a pen and start to write, and you really don't have a purpose to write a letter to them. There, there's a purpose behind your writing. Church, the same is true with each one of these letters in the 66 books of what we call the Bible. God has revealed himself to you and to me through his word. And his word has purpose. Or as we see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it is profitable. Right? It's profitable for our soul. This is the God-breathed word that we have available. Would God reveal himself and think it no big deal what he has to say? I mean, think about that. But yet... How often do we treat it in such a profane manner? His children. This is his revealed word. Would his communication to you be of no purpose? (laughs) I mean, think of each book in the Bible essentially as a a letter from God, if you will. A a, a purpose, targeting a specific objective. A particular purpose, a particular time frame. In which the book was written. This particular letter was written. But all of these combined target a, a very similar u- unified objective. And that is transformation of your heart and mind. God's revelation is given that you might be conformed in increasing measure into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. 
So fellowship for John, as we read this epistle, comes forward right at the beginning of his letter. Contextually, John's purpose for writing is found in chapter 5, verse 13. There are a few different purpose statements in here, but 5.13 is the one I'll, I'll use this morning. These things, he says, I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So this is a letter written to one who already believes in the name of the Son of God. This is a letter written to assure the believer of eternal life in Christ Jesus. This is a letter written to encourage and strengthen the believer in the faith in light of contrary doctrines, in light of contrary teachings in their midst. So why would fellowship with God through Jesus Christ be so important to the saints in this context? Whether we are speaking of a Gnostic influence in the first century... One of the aspects of that Gnostic influence that was going on at the time John is writing, that this inner circle, this group of folks who felt like they had this certain um, elite knowledge that you had to have in order to be in with the Lord, which is sort of interesting and, and ironic that they had that as we're talking about fellowship because fellowship, <laughs> well, we don't exclude in the fellowship. We include, and there's an aspect of that Gnostic influence where they were only, only certain folks could get in here. But whether we're speaking of that influence of the Gnosticism in first century or whether we're speaking of a media-saturated influence in the 21st century, fellowship among the saints of Jesus Christ is under attack. How many of you know that? You realize that? Recognize that? But here's the sad reality. By and large, the sad reality is the church doesn't seem to mind. That's the sad reality. Church, the gospel has not been entrusted to you that you might hoard it for yourself. Praise the Lord. God has opened your eyes. He's opened your ears to be able to hear the truth of Jesus Christ, to know the solution to your sin problem. This gospel, however, was never intended to remain with you. It was never intended to be buried in the ground. Some of us treat the gospel so selfishly. The new life you've been given in Christ is intended to manifest itself in witness to Jesus. Acts 1 verse 8. The new creations in Christ, where are they? Who's making disciples these days? Who has time for fellowship? Anyone? The teaching of biblical fellowship can create some tension in the room, and perhaps today it already has. And I would put forward, if it's causing some tension currently as I'm speaking, allow the Lord to do a work in your heart. Don't close that door. But this subject matter can cause some tension. And you might ask why. Well, one aspect of fellowship does involve other believers in the Lord. Well, what's wrong with that, you might ask? Some of you don't care for that brother or sister sitting around you in your row. Some of you would choose not to talk to certain brothers or sisters here in this assembly. You just choose not to. They're hard words, but I'm afraid could be true. Let me say it another way. You may like that person that's sitting around you, in front of you, or behind you, or next to you. And you're okay with them being here on Sunday morning. But outside of this gathering, you wouldn't choose to get together with them, or you, you see no need to get together with them. Let me remind you by way of John's first epistle, if any of these thoughts are hitting close to home right now. 1 John chapter 2, verse 9 says, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. You might say, but I don't hate, I don't, I don't hate anybody. I just don't care to be around them. Well, I want you to think about that statement for a moment. 
And while you're thinking about it, I want to read another verse in John's fellowship epistle. 1 John 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. We love them. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Now let me ask this question. Is there anything wrong with not desiring to be around another part of this body of Christ? Some of you are thinking, okay, well, there's still some hard people to love. Yes, you're right. There are. Look, no matter what church you fellowship with, you are going to have some challenging, difficult people that you need to learn how to love. Amen? It's true. Because you go from here to somewhere else, you spend enough time in that somewhere else, you're going to find some people, I'm telling you, you're going to find them. They're going to be hard to love. But I want you to think about this. A test of how loving you are is not placing you in the midst of a fellowship with a bunch of people that are just like you. Now, the test of love for people is to get around some people who are different than you. Hard to love. If Jesus preached, what did he say about it? Love your enemy? Love your enemy. Now, why can't we practice loving others within the fellowship of the church family? I want you to note this too, just as a note. It could be, it could be relevant. Have you ever considered that you're one of the hard people to love? It, it could be true. Romans 12.10 teaches us to be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. If parts of the body here are at odds with one another, if parts of the body are simply content with showing up on Sundays, or if parts of the body are habitually absent, and they can be absent in a couple different ways. They could be absent physically, not present, but they could be absent spiritually, mentally. They're here, they're physically in a chair, but they're gone. They're really not here. They're sleeping. They're thinking about lunch. They're thinking about a football game. You're not here. You're physically here, but you're really not here. If parts of the body are not clear on the significance of their own fellowship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, if there's no compelling motivation for you to work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling, if there's no delighting in God, no delighting in His Word, it's no wonder fellowship is relegated to that lower shelf. It's no wonder. There's a direct connection, church, between one's fellowship with God through Jesus Christ and one's fellowship with other believers. It's because we're connected together. You see, the official epistle of 1 John, it opens as, a, as this warm welcome into this fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. The welcome comes by way of John, the apostle, the beloved of Jesus, the eyewitness to Christ's life and ministry, his miracles and his healings and his wonders. John lived and moved about with Jesus for some three years. He witnessed firsthand the empty tomb. Remember, he was in the tomb and he saw. And that word there for saw, he saw and believed. It's interesting, he's going to be using that very description about seeing the things that he saw. Things that he saw, he became convinced of. He believed. This John was excommunicated for his faith in Jesus to an island, Patmos. This is the holy man of God carried along by the Holy Spirit who writes these words, welcoming the believer, calling the believer, urging the believer to see the importance of fellowship with God through Jesus. That which was from the beginning. And then we have an interrupter. We have these four parts. I'll just call them parts. Which we have heard. We, apostles, John is one of them. We, we've heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. Which we have looked upon. And our hands have handled. Concerning the word of life. That which was from the beginning, concerning the word of life. This word of life, church, is Jesus. 
And so John is writing as a firsthand apostolic witness. This word of life, according to verse 2, was manifested. What's that mean? He's, he's telling us this word, Jesus, was manifested. He appeared. He came down. But he goes on, he says, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested. Now it's personalized right here. and was manifested to us. To us. He keeps going. Look at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard. Do you see these? He keeps, he keeps talking about these things he's seen. These things he's heard. These things he's going to declare. Right here in verse 3 we see the connection. Between the word of life and fellowship. This is, this is a good thing to see. Look at verse 3. In which we have seen and heard we declare to you. Here it is. That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and his Son. With his Son Jesus Christ. I believe John is clear here as he writes because you see he's combating the tendency of some to disconnect. There were some here who wanted to disconnect God and the Son. Notice, notice what he says. Our fellowship, he doesn't just say our fellowship is with God. But he says our fellowship is with God and with his Son, Jesus Christ. There were some to whom he's writing, context is big here, some to whom he's writing who wanted to disconnect the two. And he says, no, I want you to be clear. We're writing this that you also may have fellowship with us. But understand, truly our fellowship is with God the Father and with Jesus the Son. They're connected. In fact, we see later on he's writing about this in chapter 2, verse 23. He says, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. And he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. John wants to make clear, truly our fellowship, this sharing together, this koinonia is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So after defining the term of fellowship for the believer, John lays out the goal, the objective of such fellowship. He says in verse 4, these things we write to you, that our joy may be full, or your joy may be full. Either way, we render that. You may have a little footnote in the text on our or your. Hey, either way, whether we are a recipient of this good news gospel message or whether we are the one who, who's delivering the message, there's joy as a part of this. And that's one of the main points here. There's joy in embracing and in declaring this gospel message. Amen? There ought to be. There ought to be joy. New life in Christ is manifested through joy in the heart. Joy in the heart I'm going to say this again. I love when we have a passage that allows me to be able to speak this. Because joy in the heart tells me something. It tells me there ought to be something reflected on my face. That there's joy in my heart. Too many Christians walk around. Joy, they've got the joy. They're in Christ. They're united with Christ. And yet they do not show on their face what's in their heart. Church, I put forth another reminder. Let it be known, that joy that's in your heart, let it be demonstrated and seen in your face as you walk around day to day. Not just on Sunday. It's easy on Sunday. Sunday doesn't count. Actually, it does. I'm just saying, normal week to week, as you get up in the morning, Monday mornings are a test, aren't they? Monday mornings? Monday morning. Let's just practice that in the morning, okay? We'll practice that tomorrow morning. And you can challenge and encourage one another. Hold each other accountable to that. Monday morning, joy in the heart reflected by joy on my face. Joy in Christ. Not some plastic joy, plastic pretend smile. Joy. Let's resonate the joy of Christ within us. This joy ought to characterize the fellowship of the saints. If fellowship is deemed a sharing of common life together, and that common life being rooted in the person of Jesus, joy unspeakable. It ought to abound when the saints get together. Some of you today need to be reminded that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen? Joy of the Lord is your strength. So when you get to verse 5, you finally get to hear the message he's been repeating in verses 2 and 3. He keeps talking about that which we declare to you. That which we declare to you. That which we message to you would be another way to say it literally. So now he's going to, in verse 5, he's going to say what this message is. 
This is the message which we've heard from him and declare, announce, proclaim to you. Here it is. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. This is really the core of the text, I believe, in many ways. God is light because everything else that comes in 6 through 10 flows out of what we see here in verse 5. It's because of verse 5 we have these scenarios that are put forth in 6 through 10. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. So keep verse 5 in mind as you're reading through the rest of the chapter. On the surface, you might be wondering what this message, this verse 5 message that is, has to do with fellowship that he just spoke of in verse 3. I want you to hang in there. I want you to, first of all, look at the message. God is light. John gives the reader great insight into the nature of God. He is light, we see right here. But we see in his gospel, he says in John 4, 24, he is spirit. God is spirit. And we see later in 1 John chapter 4, God is what? Love. Right? John has a way of telling us and revealing to us through the Holy Spirit who God is. He gives us a picture, word picture of who God is. You know, I was reminded of a couple passages in Isaiah, just in thinking about his light. In, in Isaiah 2, verse 5, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Isaiah 49, verse 6, I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles. That you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. A light to the Gentiles. Not only is God light, but the text says that in him is no darkness at all. Now this is important. Not only to get the part that says God is light, but in him is no darkness at all. This sets the stage for further words regarding fellowship. All right? You want to know where fellowship fits in. It's important we get verse 5. We understand verse 5 because what comes next is an outflow of verse 5. The context of fellowship sits in the midst of understanding who God is. I hope we see that in the verse. Context. When you begin to see the nature and character of God, you start to see the rightful place in this particular letter, this epistle of 1 John, the rightful place of fellowship with him and with one another in the body of Christ. Fellowship is connected to God's character. And in this case... The text says God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Look at the very next sentence. In fact, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 are applications flowing out of the central truth in verse 5. Which is the message that's referred to in verses 2 and 3. I want you to notice the common pattern, the way these verses in 6 through 10 work. If we say, if we walk, if we confess, right? You see that common language throughout 6 through 10. Back and forth it goes. 6, 8, and 10 go together. And then 7 and 9 go together. If you're just looking at the verses and how they kind of, it's like a bouncing back and forth. We'll see them go back and forth here in the text. So look at verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him, there's that word again, koinonia. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. Now, now immediately as you read the Bible on your own. Remember verse 5 says God is light. And it says in him is no what? No darkness. Now we get to verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, that'll be a red light go off as you're reading. We lie and do not practice the truth. First thing I want you to see here is that your fellowship with God is linked to your walk. If you say that you have fellowship with him and yet you live habitually, that's the idea, you live habitually in darkness. You like darkness. You delight in walking in darkness. If, if you say that you have fellowship with God and yet you walk in darkness, that's the scenario that's put forth here. You say you have fellowship with God, you say you have fellowship with one another, and yet you live in such a way that misrepresents who God is. Remember, there is no darkness in him. Verse 5 says that. So if your living is habitually characterized by darkness, and yet you say you have fellowship with him, something is wrong here, church. In fact, John calls you out and says, you lie. I didn't say it. John did. You lie. And the truth is not in you. 
you're not practicing the truth. Church, if you are in Christ, you are called to practice righteous living. Habitual sinning has no place in the life of a believer. 1 John 3, 6 and 7, verse 9. Whoever abides in him does not sin. The idea John is communicating here, we are not perfect once we have Christ. We do not keep on sinning. That's the idea of what John's communicating. If you are in Christ, whoever abides in him does not keep on sinning. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, does not keep on, does not continue sinning. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. Remember, this letter is written to assure you in Christ and to help you continue to believe in the name of the Son of God, to continue to walk with Christ. Some of you are walking in darkness today as I speak. You've been entertaining some deeds of darkness, dabbling in some deeds of darkness, thinking it's okay to say you're in fellowship with God while you continue walking in darkness. And you know it. You know today you're walking in darkness. This building being here on Sunday morning, I would want you to know something. If you are here today and you're walking in darkness, this building is no safe base. You know, you, sometimes you play tag and you play the game of tag and there's a safe base. And you go on the safe base. And when you're on the safe base, nobody can touch you. Nobody can get you. You're safe. Church, if you're living your life in darkness and you feel as though you can come into the doors and you can occupy a chair and you can be here for a few hours on Sunday and this is your safety net and then you can go right out of the door after we're done and you can continue walking and living in darkness, I want to tell you something. You're living a lie and God sees it. You're not fooling him. Fellowship, what we're talking about here, not only applies to one another. See, you might think, you might have thought before you came in this morning that I can, do, I can put on this happy face, I can put on a smile, I can come in here on Sunday morning and I can have relationships with people and things and it's going to be okay. Church, it's not okay. Because what's connected to your fellowship with one another and what priority is above that fellowship with one another. What, what helps cultivate this fellowship with one another is this fellowship that you have with God through Jesus Christ. Turn with me for just a moment. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 8. Ephesians 5 verse 8. For you were once darkness... But now, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. I'm going to say that again because I think that's important. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And hey, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Have no fellowship, no sharing together, no partnership no communion with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what light does. Light exposes the darkness. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Amen. He will give you light. I want you to look back, 1 John, the positive end of this equation, if you will, in verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship. We have fellowship. With whom? It might surprise you on first glance. With whom we have fellowship with? In light of what it says in verse 6. With one another. And, there's more. And, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us. From all sin. All sin. So let's be clear here on something. Walking in the light as he is in the light does not equate to a perfect walk. Okay? Can we be clear on that? Does not equate to a perfect walk. 
There is no such thing. Not as long as we have these bodies, these earthen tents. Okay? The sinful nature does remain, but here's the good news, church. When you walk in the light, two marvelous things happen according to the text. You have fellowship with one another, which presupposes your fellowship with God. Secondly, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. So walking in the light not only produces spiritual fellowship, but in the light is where Christ's ongoing cleansing takes place. That's ongoing. Ongoing cleansing. When you are consumed with walking in God's light, the blood of Christ cleanses you and will continue to do so as you walk in his wonderful light. You see, when you recall that God has qualified you to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in the light, when you remember that God has delivered you from the power of darkness and he's conveyed you, he's transferred you into the kingdom of the son of his love, this church is the son in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's Colossians 1. So let me ask a question from the text. Do verses 6 and 7 have something to say about the lack of fellowship? What might be a leading cause for apathy toward fellowship with the saints? Has the text uncovered, perhaps, a possibility for the lower shelf priority of fellowship? Does it have to do with professing believers who find it okay to habitually walk in darkness? Is the lack of fellowship in Christ's church connected to the fact that the believer finds himself a fugitive, always on the run from the light for fear that his deeds might be exposed? Think about that. See, your lack of desire to fellowship with one another is a marker of your lack of desire for your fellowship with God, for God, with God. When you read this first epistle in its entirety, you can't miss the connection. Love for one another, love for God, they go hand in hand. You cannot profess to love God and live the Christian life in isolation, church. I mean, how many people you run into, they're not connected anywhere. They're not connected. Really? Truly? How... How important is it to be connected to a, to a local body, to an assembly of believers, to a fellowship? You need other believers. You might not think you do, but you do. God's word says you do. See, some of you have been on the run for some time. You're, you're afraid of what people might think. You're fearful of maybe what people might say. And so to avoid it all, you put on a smiling face. You show up on the gathering on Sunday morning. Maybe. See, sometimes it's another way to avoid fellowship with the saints is to just stop coming. And you might think that solves the problem, but really all it does is create another problem. The longer you remain at a distance walking in darkness or just being away, just isolating yourself away from the fellowship of the saints, the more time goes by where you continue to cover those deeds. You continue to push them aside. You continue to, or you continue to try and just do it yourself. Neither one of those ways God's prescribed. The text says that if you walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship with one another. Others are involved. They're in the picture. And the blood of Jesus cleanses you. Remember that shepherd boy named David? He knew something about sin. If you remember his life, he was a murderer. He was an adulterer, right? There's some things there that we remember about David in his life. But David is also in the Bible a man who was called a man after God's own heart. Why? Was he perfect? No. Here's why he's called that. Because you see, David knew what to do with his sin. He knew where to go with his sin. The psalmist says in Psalm 51, 3 and 4, David says, I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Notice he equates his sin with evil. It was an offense to God. Against you and you only have I sinned. David had fellowship with his God. See, there's a cleansing effect that occurs when you walk in the light. The fear of worry, the fear of someone finding out, the, the fear of, of others, what they're going to think, the worries, the anxieties. When you're hanging out in darkness, let's think about this. The light is going to feel a bit uncomfortable. It's going to feel uncomfortable. 
You may not feel at home fellowshipping with the saints because you have yet to lay aside the weights and the sin that so easily entangles. Hebrews chapter 12. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Come into the light as God is in the light. This is a welcome and an invite for you from the text to do just that this morning. As you do, you will share together and become a participant in God's loving community. Look at another scenario put forward in verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Sin is characteristic of the darkness. All have sinned, according to the Bible. All fall, right, fall short of the glory. Romans 3, 23. All have sinned. To be a believer in Christ and to say that you now have no sin would be false theology. False understanding. Yes, we practice reckoning in ourselves dead to sin, being in Christ. Romans 6 idea, right? But sin, according to James 1, where does it come from? Does it not come from the desires within you? That's kind of how it gets birthed, if you will. If you read James chapter 1, which we'll be doing here at the beginning of the year, we're going to be going through the book of James. And we'll be hitting that at some point here. January, February, we'll be talking about that. But it's stationed in this receptacle called the body. I want you to notice what John says here. If you subscribe to having no sin, John says you're deceived and the truth is not in you. So once again, John puts forward a right response to the believer. On the heels of verse 8, we get verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've heard this verse, I would imagine, on many different occasions. Verse 9. Perhaps we've not heard it in its context in which it sits. Instead of saying we have no sins, how about confessing those sins? Confessing is to essentially say the same thing God would say about something. In this case, about sin. To say the same thing as God would say about sin. To recognize my sin. To confess my sin. To see it as an abomination. To see it as something God, God hates it. Do we see our sin in that way? We are to agree with God. He's, the call here is to confess our sins. If we confess our sins. See, what came right before this was saying we don't have any sins. Being in Christ, thinking now that I don't, I don't have any sins now. No, they've been paid for. Let's understand. Yes, they've been paid for completely, entirely. Through Jesus Christ, through his finished work at the cross. But verse 9 says, if we confess, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is faithful. I want you to notice what comes out of a life of confessing sins. And I also want you to notice on what basis these blessings come. If we confess our sins, there is forgiveness of our sins, and he cleanses us. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But on what basis does he do so? According to the text, God forgives and cleanses us because he has promised to do so. He's promised it. This is wonderful news right here. Just to give you a couple pictures of this. Isaiah 1.18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Or Jeremiah 31, 34. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. And I'm sure you can find a list of those kinds of promises. God's made. You know, it reminds me of the song. Standing, standing. Standing on the promises of God, my Savior, right? Standing, standing. Are we standing on his promises? Do we know what his promises are? See, church, he has promised to forgive you your sins. Amen, good news. That's good news. He's promised that. So to not do so would mean that God is unfaithful to his own word. But his sure promises can be trusted, amen? They can be trusted, all the more reason to come into the light to welcome fellowship among the saints. When you know that God is faithful and just, by the way, he's just. Romans 3.26 says that he is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, right? Remember that? In that, that wonderful passage about our salvation in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. God is just. To forgive and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. So I need to ask... Do you trust him? Do you trust what his word has to say? 
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, another familiar passage, but it, it, it relates right here as we ask the question. Because it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do you believe that? Psalm 73, 28, it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all your works. James 4, verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. You see, you may not feel at home fellowshipping with the saints because you have yet to see that it is good to draw near to God. It's good to draw near to God. Perhaps pride has kept you from confessing the sin in your life. The text is a welcome invite to come into the light as God is in the light. And as you do, you will be cleansed by God. You will delight in the fellowship with one another and become a participant in God's loving community. You see, John concludes the chapter. He doesn't conclude the thought. The thought continues on into chapter 2. But the chapter that we have for this morning, the time that we have here today, he concludes with yet another scenario and he says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. We say in verse 6, it says we lie. Notice, we lie in verse 6. Here we make God out to be a liar. In verse 10. By such actions. And his word is not in us. So the assumption here is that if his word is not in you, you will walk. If his word is in you, if it is in you, you're going to walk in the truth. Contrary, if it's not, you're not going to walk in truth. You're going to be in darkness. I want you to notice the tense of the verb here. It's different than what it was in verse 8. Verse 10 is, is very extreme, quite extreme, in that it presupposes one who says, I have not sinned. Why, why would John, think about this, why would John present such scenarios in this letter? Why would he do that? I want you to see the scenarios as clues. Clues insight into the false teachings, into the deception that's been creeping in. Why is he submitting such scenarios? Leads me to believe such a thing was being pronounced and proclaimed. There were people who believed this. Now I hope as you read this, I, I'm, I'm reading this last one and as I'm reading this last one, you know, verse 10, you just shake your head and you go, well, that's nonsensical. The Bible says that we all sin. We've sinned from birth. When we came out as babies, well, you know, we might have been handsome, we might have been cute little cuddly things. But the Bible says that we were sin. That's how, that's how we began, sinful beings. So here, here's someone, verse 10, the scenario that's put forward. Someone who's claiming, I've never sinned, I've not ever done it. But if you're thinking as you read, well, that just didn't, there's no way. I mean, that, that doesn't make any sense. I can't believe someone would come up with that idea. Who would do that? This is, good. this is a right way of thinking. It's a pattern of thinking exhibited by the Apostle Paul in Romans. It's, it's, it goes along with that familiar refrain that he gives in Romans. As it is written. As it is written. You see, when something doesn't sound in alignment with the truth of God's word, John's advice is this. Chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. Church, do you know today that there are a lot of these false prophets, a lot of these false teachings, a lot of these things that are being dangled out there as carrots for you to look at, for you to see, for you to take a bite of. Don't believe everything that comes your way. When you get an email in the mailbox, don't believe everything that comes across your email. I can't tell you the number of times I get an email. Someone's forwarded an email about something. That's absolutely ridiculous. Have you ever gotten one of those? What are we holding on to? What are we believing in? Are we walking in the light or in the darkness, church? Our fellowship is with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. The essence, the foundation of all true and biblical fellowship is as we spoke of at the beginning, this life of God, this word of life, the life of God in the soul of man experienced personally by believing the truth. John experienced this personally. As apostolic witness, experiencing it personally by believing the truth. Shared relationally in the church. 
which flows out of an understanding of God's nature and character. God is light. See, sin hinders this fellowship with God and fellow believers in the body. The body grows sick and the body grows weakly as the parts ignore the cleansing stream of Christ's blood. Here's a great segue into the Lord's Supper. Did you know that the blood of Christ draws you near, church? Ephesians 2.13. The blood of Christ draws you near. We need his cleansing, his ongoing cleansing. Walking in darkness cannot continue if you are in Christ. Walking in darkness is selfish. You say you want God's fellowship. The Bible says that your fellowship with God through Jesus is connected to your fellowship with the saints. When God saved you, he brought you into the family of God. You are an ambassador for Christ now. It is incumbent upon you that you walk like a new creation in Christ. And some of you are in the midst of trials and difficulties and you're, you're thinking to yourself, I'm, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that in the midst of all that I got going on. If that's you, let me just read this. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted the bloodshed striving against sin. Let's consider Christ. That's why when we run this race of faith, who are we to be looking at, church? Christ. Jerry Bridges has written a book on koinonia. He says, community relationship among believers presupposes a living relationship with God and is in fact dependent upon it. Where there is no vital union with Christ... There can be no sharing of the common life that believers have in him. In the same manner, if believers are to share with one another in communion or fellowship, they must first have something to share, something obtained only through communion or fellowship with God. So church, you've heard the word. I exhort you to consider what God says about fellowship. The early church devoted themselves to fellowship with one another. They ate together with glad and simple hearts. They praised the Lord. They enjoyed the favor of all people, not just a certain group of people. They met together regularly. They were in each other's homes. They shared with others as they had need. They contributed their gifts and talents for the benefit of all in the body. This all falls under the umbrella of fellowship. You see, our walking in the light where Christ is leads to fellowship with other Christians. And as we reach out to embrace the life of Christ and Christ himself, we end up embracing others who are also embracing Christ. We ought to be all pursuing in Christ, Christ himself, being conformed into his image. The local assembly here at Hope in Christ is the place to practice such fellowship described in the text. This is the laboratory where we can practice these very things. Fellowship. While it is true that you can have fellowship with that brother in the Lord who is in China, it is also true that you can practice and exercise fellowship and believe it is intended that we have a place in the Lord and His Word talks about a local assembly. This would be the place where we practice this with other brothers and sisters that make up this particular local body. I leave you with a few verses from our text. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Church, that's good news. That is a wonderful marker of the gospel. Pray that as a church we would embrace this good news message. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your good word. We thank you for this gospel marker of fellowship. Father, I pray as we have looked to your word, you would continue to minister and do a work in our hearts. Father, make course corrections in our lives where they need to be made. I pray, Father, that we would be willing to submit ourselves to you and to what the truth of your word says. Father, I pray that we would not desire any longer...
to walk in darkness, but instead it would be our desire, it would be our delight to walk in the light as you are in the light. May we be found in the light, I pray. May we walk with joy in our hearts, proclaiming, declaring the good news message of Jesus as ambassadors for Christ. Thank you for the privilege the responsibility that we have to do such a thing in this time, this short time that we have here on this earth. May we steward it well for your glory and your honor. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.